Hey everybody, welcome to, or welcome back, to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. I am Kevin, one of your hosts. And I am Ethan, two of your hosts. And today we are discussing The Serene Squall, directed by Sidney Freeland, written by Bo DeMeo and Sarah Tarkov, another novelist. I love when they bring in the novelists. Um... And also involved in The Witcher in some way, the Bo DeMeo person. Um, and that's about it for noteworthy credits. So we've got a very interesting episode, particularly the last five seconds. Yeah, very but, much. So it's almost as if we need to talk about the episode as an episode. Mm-hmm. And the last five seconds as the last five seconds. Because the last five seconds changed everything completely. Yes. So, um, but endings can it, do a lot of things, and <laughs> this yeah. one is a good example of what an ending can do. But honestly, I feel if you lopped off the last five seconds, I still would have enjoyed the episode thoroughly. Agreed. Agreed. I think it was um because I I was bef- I, I was telling you about it. I wasn't telling you about the ending. I was sort of speaking in very broad strokes about the episode before you had seen it. And I and what I had said to you you know, intentionally leaving out that there was a big reveal at the end or even, you know, indicating that there was some big reveal at the end. I said it's a very kind of like middle-of-the-road, by-the-numbers Trek episode. It doesn't... It's nothing new. It's nothing we haven't seen before. It's, you know, it just it just kind of... It doesn't shake up the premise. We've seen episodes like this before, so it was just... It was not remarkable. It was fine. Yeah. Um, and I think I had actually said to you when I... After when I was talking about it, I said, you know, and I'm not saying this is a, as a negative. I think it's my least favorite of the of the season, but it's not. That isn't to say that it's a bad episode. But I was speaking that way intentionally because I didn't even want to give any sort of hint about yeah, what no, happened toward the end. So I, I was kind of. I have to commend myself on on doing that. You did good. I, yes. You did well. Yeah. I, so I, I kind of played dumb. It does feel like a Star Trek episode. It, mm-hmm. I got a lot of um, Khan from the original series vibe of taking over the ship. Right. Um, right. So I think it's also, it's just, once again, we often say it's one of the tropes of Star Trek, but well, it, it's one of the tropes, one of the storylines we've seen, but it's well done. And people were complaining about like, why is it so easy to take over the ship? I'm like, well, that's always happened in Star Trek. This is not Strange New Worlds' fault. That's always, that's always, you know. It's, yeah, it wasn't that easy. Right. Right, but it was pretty well orchestrated, and because you had someone on the inside that knew exactly what they were doing and when they were doing it, that's but, why the plan worked. But I'm going to say this: what Strange, what Strange New Worlds did with this, with that aspect of it, they did a better job of it than the other sh- than some of the other shows. Because whenever Voyager was taken over or the Enterprise was taken over, everybody comes aboard the ship and takes over the ship, and they know how to work the ship. They just know right away. They know exactly how to work it. There's that scene where number one says initiate security lockdown so nobody can actually use anything. Mm-hmm. And there was that whole kind of like ruse to get them to unlock the ship and now they actually are able to use it. So I like that, that they kind of addressed that aspect of it rather than yeah, just having. Once, yeah, exactly. Once people start coming into the ship, it's like you lock everything down. Just gotta, it would make so much sense to have a feature like that. Well, it, it makes sense. And I think I just think where we are technologically in the real world, it makes sense because back in the '90s, we wouldn't have been able to do that. I mean, we can do that. We can do that shit with our phones now, right? If every I lose time, my phone, I remote lock it. Yeah. Well, right, but if I lose it, right, yeah. I just go on to find my device. I remote. I you know I remote 
lock it or remote wipe it so nobody can get access to it. So they, yeah. they're taking into account how we work with our actual technology how and just how that changes things. So I like that they actually didn't kind of fall back and just have these people come aboard and know exactly how to work the ship. So I thought, I thought that's where they excelled. One of the things that they yes. excelled at in this one. And also they had, because that was such a problem, they had to have two strategies to try to get it because they didn't know what was going to work. So they tried right. to get it Pike by just punching him. And then they tried to get it through by uh, from Spock through deception. Right. Right. So, um, you know, they had all their bases covered. So I do think this was a well planned takeover. Agreed. And also knowing by setting it up with hostages that you have to beam out yep. or beam over too, they, they knew that they'd be sending the, they knew when the shields would come down to beam over and she was there to signal them. It was, yep. it was well done. The thing that I think the one part piece that's missing, and I talked about this a little bit before is just because we walked into that meeting with, uh, Dr. Aspen and Pike and the command crew. We, I would like to see how it started. Right. Because we kind of, it was already, the ball was rolling. Pike was already in that he was going to do it and help. But yeah, I wonder like, where did she come from? Did she beam aboard and say, Hey, is some people you have to help or how did that all work? Yeah. Did, um, Commodore April say, Chris, we're sending this person to you. Here's what you've got to do. Yeah. There was no like, either captain's log or there was none of that, like, you know, Pike in his ready room, having that conversation with the Admiral on a screen saying, we're sending you over. And I, I, but I think in a way that just takes up time, but I still think, and so I can, I understand, but I still would have liked a sort of log entry by captain Pike, just sort of informing us yes. with a little bit more detail on what's going on, because obviously it leads to a deception. And I thought that it was kind of a leap to get everything everything worked out in place and you know they just sort of fell right into the into the trap you know so easily but what is the i wanted yeah i wanted to know like what were the setting up events the deception that got us there how did how did this whole yeah. thing actually begin and, yeah and i think that would have been the hardest part to explain so in one way i don't really mind that just we'll just skip over that and like you said once the story started i was into it i wasn't thinking the whole time i don't think it hurt I don't think it hurts. It doesn't hurt the story by any stretch. I just think that if they spent an additional, if we just had like 30, just seriously, like 30 seconds of a log entry telling us what it is. It's more, yeah. I think for us, it's just more of the curiosity of the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah. I can see any, anything it was would just lead to more questions. If it was yeah. April told them and it's like, well, how did she trick April? If this and is there a real Dr. Aspen and, and you know, all these things. So, Maybe it was if the, it was on like, Enterprise, you would have seen like her ship docking with the Enterprise and her coming aboard. It would have been this whole, you know, yeah, right, yeah. But it's okay. It's it's that's a little nitpicky, but I think it's. Yeah, I think so it's I right. didn't. It didn't. Um, it didn't bother me really. It just after watching it, I, I at the second viewing, I thought, okay, I need to pay attention because somehow I missed the beginning of this, but I really right, didn't. right. And I think we may have met the best of the new Trek um, villains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I think the best one in Captain Aspen, not Dr. Aspen. Dr. Aspen. Or, no. Captain Aspen. Fake doctor, real captain. And yeah, because I think 
the way it worked out was that this deception that this doctor captain performed came at just the right time because they had the they had enough trust from the crew not that the crew had any reason not to trust them at all but even they had the viewer trust so when it came the specific moment that it came in it's like it was kind of it was sort of the beginning of the last act of the show is where it really of the episode is where it really went when it came in but i mean i was genuinely shocked and i think it's because this new character has some really good scenes with spock with the rest of the crew and just the actress playing the actor playing this character i thought was really really good i thought so too they really sold it was one of those things where they were not a mustache twirling villain no but but what i mean by that is overly simplistic but they really had a lot of fun playing the yes villain if that makes yes. sense they were clearly having a lot of fun i mean especially when they, they were in the in the um took over the captain's chair yeah i mean there were some moments where i thought like when they were kind of like going into that like you know into that like mocking voice like oh me my feel like stuff like that but i thought for some reason it just, it's just working though like it didn't feel it didn't feel forced it was funny it was almost like they felt somewhat like of a caricature but it seemed like they were just playing it that way like, yes and yeah. they were so cocky that they thought they had won so much that they could kind of rub it in their face a bit right right so i think the circumstances allowed it to work i said to you that i said this is how osiris should have been played in my opinion this is a better this is a better villain than osiris and i totally agree i thought that this is how osiris should have been yes and yeah. also it helps that this character had a, a there was more of a I don't know. I like the story better, so also I, I was willing to accept a lot more. Well, I think I think what one of the reasons why it works so well is that we're not dealing with a. I think this also proves the strength of just doing episodic storytelling, because when you have a when you have a villain like an Osira who's being kind of hinted at, and you know, feared by these people who know who she is, but we have not seen the audience yet. We now have sort of like a picture in our mind of what we kind of think this villain is going to be like. And then when we finally see them, it's like, oh, that's... Yeah. So it's kind of a letdown, it be, right? It has to be sustained over time and... Right, and all right. Yeah. So I think in this case, it just worked because we got to know this person before that villainous side was actually revealed. So there was already some investment. There was already some investment there. I think when you, it gets very dicey when you start hinting at something, and then when it finally comes, it's yes, it better knock your socks off. It can be. It's easy to get let down. Yeah. yeah. So, although I will have to say one more thing, this again, when the scene when uh, Aspen walked into Spock's quarters in mm -hmm. that black, yeah jumpsuit thing yep. with the boots yep i knew yeah something you did up. you knew something was I, up yeah. yeah but i also suspect almost all i don't know for some reason i suspected the the woman last week too so i didn't i don't know that i was suspicious of any character I, they meet i think now i i wasn't suspicious that this person could be a villain right what i observed though was that i felt that we don't 
this character is new. The crew doesn't know them. We don't know them. And yet, they're getting strangely close to Spock. Like, this is... Yeah. They're getting very... They're getting they're getting to know Spock in a very and talk to Spock in a very sort of like intimate way. And yes. I thought and, this and is weird. They, yeah. Right. And they had it after he was a counselor. So right. that was the Good I cover. guess the cover for that. Right. So it, And it, we know now why she was able to get so close, because clearly she had been gotten a pre uh you right. know a, a dossier on him from So yeah character to be named later. That's that's so those kinds of things. So I think, you know, with, what I think Strange New Worlds has managed to do, and this is just another example of how they've been successful at it. You know, so many times I find myself as a viewer in the same, kind of feeling the same way that the crew is feeling in, at that moment in the show. I don't know this character. Spock doesn't know this character. The crew doesn't know this character. So I'm just as shocked by their portrayal as they are. I'm weirded out by them getting close to my friend Spock. Right, like right. I, because I, I'm like as a viewer, I'm feeling protective of this, of this crew, and yeah. even though I'm not part of this crew, I'm just somebody watching it. So mm-hmm. very much, I feel like my as a viewer and the and the characters in the show, I feel like we're just very much in sync, almost all the time. And y- yes, and I do think that if it were not for the fact that I like the show and I'm willing to go for the ride. I maybe would have thought, why are they letting this lady on the bridge and like inches away from Spock's face when he's doing this incredibly right. dangerous, um, dealing with this incredibly dangerous situation where he has to pick which of the uh, the web creators to shoot. Right. That's someone yeah. you don't really know, but they're on the bridge and they're literally whispering in his ear as he's making these crucial decisions. Well, and I also began to wonder because as now, what you say, I thought that was, I thought that was a weird moment too. Weird for the not weird like in terms of like what am I seeing, but weird like what's going on with this character? Who is this person? You know, again, you're getting too close to my crew that I feel protective of. Um, I also began wondering because Aspen seems to be planting ideas into Spock about the two sides of who he is: the Vulcan side, the human side. And as we see in the original series, he still is sort of sort of torn between the two sides. Mm-hmm. And you know, as Doc, as Aspen says later, or Angel, I should say, what what Angel says later on is that it's not, uh, it's not what you are; it's who you are. I begin to wonder, you know, is As is Angel doing something? Angel Aspen doing something that's going to be. That's gonna set Spock down this path as to who he is, who we see him as later on. Is she getting is he is this character forcing him to think a certain way that informs who he eventually becomes on the original series? I, I don't know. That could just be a that could be a significant reach. But it just got yeah. me thinking about those things, right? It just it, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. I, I don't think that's anything he hasn't thought before. Yeah. Maybe she just was able to articulate it in a way that he hadn't yet. Yeah, maybe. It's just, that's... And I do, yeah. What I wondered on second viewing after we know is was part of her mission to try to recruit Spock or at least find out if he could be brought over to their side. Yeah, I wonder about that. I, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good point. Because he would be 
a perfect candidate for the the philosophy of emotion and logic. Well, and you, because you where you're going with when you pose that question, because one of the thing points I wanted to make is, and I'll kind of reemphasize it when we discuss the ending of the episode. Maybe we should just talk about the ending now because that's where we're already well, talking I, about things that are dependent on it. Well, I just but well, well, let me just at least get this out first. Okay. When I watched the episode the second time, after knowing how it ended, I began to see things mm -hmm. that I just didn't notice on first viewing, which clearly set it up. But upon first viewing, even though the, you just don't see it coming like no, not at, at all. all, at all. Yeah. And that's why I think the way the episode ended the way it did. So just even the way the story is structured, I thought it was extremely effective. Now the choice they made, I thought was even, was, was just fantastic. But, um, they, they got me. I mean, they, they had me right from the beginning. They, they, they fooled me, you know, 100% upon first viewing. Oh yeah. Other than the captain, they fooled me. Oh, I didn't know that it was the captain, but other than them having some kind of knowing something more than they were letting on, that's really all I figured. Right. But, um, right. Well, before we get to the ending though, cause there are some other things around yeah. it, right? I mean, like, you it know, it is cool yeah. to discuss it just as a story first. Right. So something else that the episode does is that it also kind of just reinforces this friendship, this bond between Spock and nurse chapel, which is again, somewhat alluded to, in the original series, definitely on display in a mock time. So we're kind of, they have this sort of, I like the friendship that's being played out between the two of them in this episode. I think they've got some really great scenes together, particularly sort of in the beginning of the episode when, you know, they're walking down the corridor and they're just talking and, you know, they're kind of actually recalling like the advice that Chapel was giving Spock about to Pring several episodes ago. And, you know, just talking about like how, you know, do you know why, you know, why Vulcans make such good friends for humans? And so mm. they've got some really good moments together that, you know, even if it doesn't say 100% payoff in the original series, it's still fun to watch. It's I still enjoy seeing their scenes together on the show. I think that the two of them work very well together. Yeah, they just sound like, you know, normal friends. Right. Which is nice to see because... um you know, it seems like a real friendship that we're watching evolve. Right. But the reason I say this is because when I say like it may not potentially pay off in the original series, like what I mean by that is when you watch the original series and even like even the motion picture when Spock comes aboard and McCoy and Chapel come aboard the bridge and they, they're glad that he's there. And she's like, Mr. Spock, like she kind of. There's something in the performance of Major Barrett Roddenberry that just gives you the feeling like they're not they're not very close, right? But Strange New Worlds wants to kind of go down this road and say that they became very good friends. But when you get to the original series and even the motion picture, it kind of feels like they're not as close as they were in Strange yeah. New Worlds. But, I mean... And, I mean, there should certainly be reasons for that. I mean, obviously, they both have feelings for each other. Right. And despite what he says. And so... Yeah. 
if anyone has ever had a situation like that with a friend, you know it can get awkward really fast. So maybe it could. It could. I mean, something like that happens later. I'm not going to count on the show doing something to account for that. I think it's just made Joel Barrett Roddenberry's performance, and that's all there is to it. Fact that, yeah, and no one really had friendships on the original right, series. Right. So it's a different time. It's a different. I think what I'm getting at is that when you. I don't want it to get to the point that when I when say Strange New Worlds ends, I don't want to watch the original series and the films and not feel like that history that we saw in Strange New Worlds is not apparent. But that's just my thing. So Yeah. So we have this sort of main story, which is the rescuing of colonists yep and it involves pirates as well orion pirates orion pirates and i have to say i really love the fake um orion captain yep that we met yep talk about just doing a lot with a little the actor yeah right there was not really much for them to do no but boy they just gave the character such character they they did. I don't know what it was. I think maybe it was the little accent, little Scottish accent almost, and they just had a great presence. Well, they didn't feel like. I mean, I I think you could say this about them as well. They didn't feel like some kind of mustache twirling villain, right? They were just some cheesy, unmemorable villain. I mean, they weren't even really supposed to be the villains at all. They were just kind of there to help the story along, right? They weren't. They were just sort of circumstantial. Villains, I guess, is maybe a way of putting it. Yeah, they um, were just kind of an obstacle for the for the away team. Correct. So, but I enjoyed it, and you know, these new shows are really making good use out of the Orions. Like, it's incredible, just because we weren't really getting a lot of that in the. I mean, Enterprise uses them a little bit. Yeah. But they're getting some really good mileage out of the Orions. I've got to say, and. You know, and and in 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 keeping it very much of like in in the in the proper time period. I mean, I know Tendi on Lower Decks is an Orion, mm-hmm. but even then they address that by saying that they're not really, you know, she hasn't been an Orion. She, you know, I forget the exact line, but something about like they haven't been. It's been like five years. They haven't really been. They don't really do a lot of that anymore, and she's not one of them, right? So she's trying to yeah. like go beyond the stigma of that people have of them. So. But I like that they're actually we're, we're finding more out more out about the Orions and them getting used a lot more. Yes, and I, it really also I think they're doing well is just using those secondary characters, just right, packing in a lot of personality. Agreed. So Agreed. that they're they're memorable and they're fun to watch. Yeah. But I, and also I think just the decision to use the Orions in my last point. Mm-hmm makes it feel very much like a prequel, right? Like if this were, like Enterprise is supposed to be a prequel to the original series, but too often it felt like a prequel, a direct prequel to the next generation because they too often went, like they went straight to the Nosigans. They went straight to like the Ferengi, like aliens that we were first, not first contacted, but first established to the viewers as being on the next generation. So they're, they're very much products of the next generation era. So I like that Strange New Worlds has been kind of abstaining from going too far into that and just staying focused on aliens of the original series 
era and also even playing them as such like portraying them and having the actors and actresses still kind of play them as if they're doing as if we're on the original series here yes and the um even the costuming right and just the look of them well i mentioned when we first saw aspen the outfit that they have on initially felt very much like it, it for some reason it made me think of um oh god i can't remember the original series ever the original series episode but there was a federation ambassador aboard the enterprise and they weren't wearing a uniform they were just wearing like civilian clothing but it was this very elaborate very odd kind of costume that they mm. had on and i thought aspen is wearing something very much sort of in the same vein in the same style as like some sort of diplomat would be in the original series very kind of like almost exotic over the top you know extra yeah. rings piercings and that sort of thing but but yeah, still modern look, in some ways yeah too. it looks like earth clothes but like tweaked in a really weird way right like it looks 60s but also modern at the same time like it had the modern ed edge to it so yeah yeah definitely the jumpsuit looked very modern yeah i mean she was basically wearing what seven of nine had on in, in, at one point so yeah. yeah yeah but you know again it's a classic take over taking over the enterprise the crew gets held hostage nurse chapel and spock you know are the ones still aboard the ship trying to wrestle control of the enterprise back and that's when we get this reveal that Aspen is actually a character named Angel who is trying to use the Enterprise to get somebody freed on this, not prison planet, but this, like a rehabilitation planet that T'Pring is overseeing. Well, uh, which I very well established that we've known about T'Pring's job there since right. the first episode of the season, I think. And I gotta say, you know, just as a side comment, T'Pring is getting more use than I thought. Mm -hmm. on the show and, and she's great and, i enjoy her a lot yes very effective yeah i mean she's a i forget the actress's name who plays her but she is a she she plays a fantastic they do really good job a really good job of casting vulcans on these shows yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. yeah they really do a great job of uh her makeup because oh totally she looks so much like the original series with the blue well, eyeshadow and all yeah you know what it is like again i use the word exotic but also that kind of almost like um, when I think of like a mock time in the Vulcans then like almost yeah. like an Egyptian kind of flair, yeah. right? With all of the, you know. Um, totally. But I got to say, you know, with T'Pring, Spock and T'Pring's relationship sort of being a constant on this show, it makes a mock time all the harder for me to watch because it doesn't work out for them in the end. Which sucks because like I'm cheering them on the whole time, but I know how this is yeah. gonna go, and it's it's. I guess that speaks yeah. to my investment in these characters because it's so good. They do such a great job with it that I'm sad yeah. that we don't <laughs> that it doesn't and work it out for make them. Make me wonder though, what the hell could have happened? Right, which I'm. They, they're yeah. making it through all this weird stuff that's happening to them. Right. So what happened in between to lead to the insanity of a mock time? And I have to believe that the show is gonna is gonna go into that. I mean, I don't think it's gonna be. I would think so. But I, I think this is going to be the course over multiple seasons. I don't think it's just going to be this season, right? I think T'Pring right. is going to be a recurring character on the show as the years go on. But I yes, so. I very much want to know what what happens because we know what happens in a mock time and it breaks my heart to see that, that's, that it doesn't work out for them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I really like that Picard. Oh, Picard. Whoa. Whoa. Pike. <laughs> Pi-I, you know, Pike. Pi um, Pike card. Pike card wins the uh, battle of wits with the captain of the, uh, the fake captain of the Serene Squall. Yeah. However, there were a couple times in this episode that he did some things that seemed a little reckless. Yep. And I wonder if, do you think maybe he is using his knowledge of the future in his decision-making? Because when he told Spock, like, just pick one, Spock. No, I don't. Okay. I don't. I think, but, I think in that moment, because I don't think there was really time to kind of, like, the moment they were in, I I, I don't think there was really time to kind of, like. He did explain it also. He said, either we shoot one of them or we die what so I, at least if we shoot one we have a 50 50 chance of not dying what i wish they did do though and this is not something pike should have done when spock gets it right what does aspen say good hunch or something she says somebody says hunch to spock oh that was um pike pike i wanted there to be a moment where spock says vulcans do not have hunches Yes, I noticed right. a slight fluctuation there, in the blah blah there needed to be but i you know Spock was clearly struggling with that, but I wanted yeah. it to be because we've seen situations like that with Vulcans in the past, and I think we've I think we've even heard that said before. Vulcans do not have hunches, right? But I think it also brought up a, a really interesting idea where because Vulcans do everything obviously based on logic, but there was in that moment literally no rhyme or reason to to choose one yeah. over the other like spock actually had to make a guess and yes. we've seen him do that in the voyage home yeah but yeah i guess it opened up for dr aspen to go to his quarters also yeah right because when i think about them figuring out the time re-entry program in the voyage home Kirk asks him about it, and Spock says, Mr. S- Scott cannot give me exact figures, Admiral, so I will make a guess. And Kirk says, a guess? And he says, that's extraordinary. So it wasn't something that Spock does very often, and it's not something he's comfortable with doing. Yeah, maybe he got a little more comfortable by then. By, by then, I mean, he hasn't, it doesn't come across that he's uncomfortable, but... Yeah, but he's clearly had some... He's uh, had experience. experience. Like now, right? He said, and and by that point, he's probably like, "Well, my guesses are usually are always right, anyway." So, yeah, I may not understand why I'm right, but I know I am. Right. Except, well, and and you know, the last thing I'll mention is there's a scene in the in the Corbomite maneuver where uh, the uh, navigator Lieutenant Bailey sort of questions something about, or was about to question something that Spock says, and Sulu says, "If you try to cross brains with Spock, he'll cut you to pieces every time." Mm. so yeah anyway that's just I like to make those little connections yes um I I did think though with them being held captive on that ship and then the way they got out of it was was somewhat absurd they started a mutiny Yes, I did like the little joking back and forth, like, oh, we did this before. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought what Pike did was a very Kirk thing, actually. I was getting a real Captain Kirk vibe from that, of starting a mutiny. And it mm. and, and it actually led to a moment where I pretty much laughed out loud. Um, once they 
manage to get to the bridge. And we don't even see this occur, right? We see them starting the mutiny, and the next time we see them actually on the bridge of that ship, firing on the Enterprise, you know, this is when the, you know, the, the taking of the Enterprise has been uh, kind of overdone. You know, Spock manages to get the ship back and everything. And, you know, Pike is saying to Angel, get out of my chair, and it's sort of going back and forth between the Enterprise and the and the Serene Squall on the bridge. And Pike's very insistent, like, can you beam us back? And they kind of pan back. They said, yeah, our mutiny's kind of in progress, and we kind of, like, got ahead of ourselves getting on yeah. the bridge. There was a phaser blast. Right. That, dude, that moment made me just fucking laugh out loud because I the way they revealed it, was so good there because what do they say like you know we kind of got ahead of ourselves with this mutiny like yeah we turned over the bridge prematurely yeah, prematurely our mutiny sort of in progress you know, the, the camera just swings back and they're holding back people trying to get to the bridge yeah that was great yeah that was very, very good right and again you know another another great moment like when pike says to ortegas fire gently and then i said gently what does that even mean what does yes. fire gently even mean yes yeah that was and um, I also really liked the fact that, um, you know, it did seem a little bit silly that he was able to do this. But also because knowing that this was not really the captain, this was just a stand in for the captain who probably was just told, like, listen, don't just try anything crazy. You just need to do X. And clearly they got a little bit full of themselves and thought, like, oh, I'm going to try my own thing now that it's, right. I'm in control. So I think that's why that that worked. If that there's no way that he would have been able to do that to the actual captain. It's because I think it's because like they've done this before and they got very kind of overconfident, like, Oh yeah, we can do this. No problem. Right. And happened and then, to have a, a fake captain right. to, as their, as their, um, Mark. So I found it, I found it somewhat silly that they were able to like do the whole, like Pike's like, well, let me cook for you. And they were like able to kind of talk it through. I found that a little, yeah, I was like, wait, I'm like, there, wait, like, what's going on? Yeah. I even don't hear, uh, Pike makes dinner silly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I also get the feeling that the show knows that that's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not okay. right. I feel like discovery would be like, look what we did. It's brilliant. Like discovery wouldn't play up the silly factor of it all, but I feel like strange new worlds. Yes. Does. It can be a little silly and that's okay. Right. And yeah. What did it you, would have never happened on discovery. What did you think of the whole, cause I, I, I think, my only real kind of criticism was uh, the way they sort of wrested control of the Enterprise back. Because Angel manages to... Because the whole point is Angel wants... There's a prisoner that is on this planet that T'Pring is overseeing. Right. And I forget the name they use. but uh, Zavarius. And Angel wants them out. And so this is why Angel takes over the Enterprise to get... Knowing Spock is there and knowing, knowing she can use Spock as a hostage, I guess, to get Zavarius out. A pawn? Would that, is that the right word? <laughs> um, the pawn more does what you want rather than... Right. Yeah, well, I guess a hostage. What did you think... Blackmail, I guess. What did you think of... Maybe I just wasn't totally following it, but I think like um, the way like Spock's deception to Dupree oh. with Nurse Chapel that was brilliant. Yeah, because it was it was one of those sort of logic puzzles where um, uh, Aspen, yep, Captain Angel thought that they had it all figured out because like I know that you are definitely going to um, yeah, make yeah. this trade, 
Um, because even though Tapring said, I'll lose all this, I'll lose my, you know, position and my family will be shamed. Yeah, but love is more important. Right. right. Plus, you are betrothed to him, so you like you kinda have to. Yeah. So then Spock realized, well, if I can make her divorce me or have a break off our engagement. Yep. And the way to do that was for him to yeah. make it seem like he had an affair. So I guess he had to do it in a... But I guess... Yeah, I did go a little far because um, captain the captain never bought it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, because I just kind of felt like we saw Angel firing phasers earlier, right? And I thought to myself, what's... Angel's got the flagship at their command mm-hmm. you know and i just kind of feel like you could just keep firing on the ship and say turn them over now like in other words i don't feel like angel really with the ship as powerful as the enterprise i feel like she didn't really they didn't really need spock there i mean maybe I, the risk killing Zavarius could have disabled the that. ship somehow. I mean, I, I, you know, or maybe they're not very good. Maybe, maybe, maybe. they don't actually know how to, you know. I mean, those when they shoot phasers, just like just shoot phasers at nothing, and then you know, yeah, the like, oh, I, this is fun. I just so thought I maybe it, they're not actually that good at the strategy part of it. Or that's the, the thing. I just thought it was a weird thing to bank on because you now have acts like you don't even need. I just feel like you don't need Spock at anymore because you you needed to get control of the enterprise now you have it and you know well, the next step was to get Zavarius. right but i what i'm saying is like you could have instead of using spock to get access to convince to pring to let this Zavarius ah. person go i thought to myself it just seems to me like well you got to pring out there okay and you oh, have I got it. I got and you, you could have just why. used here's why and it was planted yeah because Aspen said a few times things like um, she said it to Chapel. You, I can see in those icy eyes of yours, you know that love is the only thing in the universe that will make it like okay. So right. there are a few things about how love is the thing that will make people do things that they wouldn't do otherwise. Right. So maybe they could have, yeah. So they. Dr. Aspen, I mean, Captain Aspen was doing this crazy stuff for love. Right. And I think the calculation was to Pring might sacrifice herself for her honor, but she wouldn't sacrifice Spock. Hmm. I, I, I think for me, it just so did. He threatened, like, I'm going to blow your ship up. I don't think to Pring would have said, oh my God, okay, fine, take him. I think to Pring would have said, um, you know, but it is my duty. I cannot turn over a prisoner. Right. I think, yeah, I just, it didn't feel airtight to me, but when you explain it that way, I guess, I, I, yeah, I think just watching it, it didn't feel, it didn't come across that way to me, but I mean, yeah, I didn't think of it, but, but you know what, that's at the same time, that's also, um, that's when I'm just saying to myself, like, you know, just, just chill and enjoy it. Don't, don't go too deep into it. Right, just right. kind of, yeah. And here's the thing, and you know, I've been trying not to talk about the other show very often, but as I always say, whenever there are these little things on Discovery that drive us crazy, I always say, if these were episodes that we were enjoying, 
we wouldn't be getting hung up on these things. Right. And I think this is an example of that. We've said that before. I mean, we, yeah, we've said in when it's an episode that we don't like, we begin to notice other th- yeah. other cracks as well. Right. So it's when just, we're enjoying the story, it's like you're willing to just you don't even notice those things. Or if you do, you don't. You right. Don't you're willing well to. On. Well, you're willing to kind of here. let it go. But also think of it like this, too. Mm-hmm. This goes back to the structure of the show. And we did this on Picard. When you're dealing with a continuing story being released on a weekly basis, you have a week to basically dissect it and take it apart. And you now begin to see all of these kind of cracks, these these fault lines, right? When you're doing episodic with a beginning, middle, and end, you're not... Th- you're on to the next adventure at this point. You're not. Th- you're not dissecting. Well, we are. Well, you are, but like, but after, but, but once we're done, we're done, right? Yes. We're true. not. We're gonna move on to the next to the next one, right? And also, it can't compound by being relevant to the next week, and then exactly. you're thinking, yes. wait, but there was that thing last week that didn't make any sense. Because things on a continuing show just pile onto each other you know you they're more and especially when they're not it's not a good episode one week it makes it all the work all the more frustrating because now you're beginning to see all of these different little problems if we're just dealing with an episodic show and one show is not good one week okay well on to the next one hope it's you know hope it's better right so it's 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 a weird it's a weird way of putting it but it's like they're good. Epi- the Stranger Worlds, they do great episodes, but like once an episode's done, we're not thinking, we've talked about it, we're not really thinking about it anymore. We're on to the, our minds getting ready for the next one. Totally. So, and that's why, but even, but the, the irony of the whole thing is that even when we dissect it, these ones, yes, we're not really finding very many, <laughs> very no. many cracks. Yeah. So, no, this might be the most we've found. Yeah. Not that like we're hunting for, but it doesn't hurt the episode. I guess is is really what it is. It's not, right? We're kind of just getting we're kind of just getting into the weeds when, but it doesn't. It it doesn't it doesn't hurt the episode in any way. So yeah. Anyway. Yes. Um. All right. So, before let's let's now let's do this. So unless you have any more notes, but obviously, Uh, this was a. Let me just check and see here. This was a 48 minute and 30 second build up to the last 30 seconds of the. It was a 48 minute and 30 second teaser for the last 30 seconds of the show, I think. And a hell of a teaser it was. Oh, God. Yeah. And before we de- unpack it. Oh, well, this leads to that. It's a good. A lot of these things lead like- to it, but it leads to see some of the things that on second viewing we see, like when. Um, when they are Doctor Angel or Doctor Aspen, rather, they say, uh, uh, "I've just known a, I just know a few Vulcans." Mm. Um, is one of the little bits. They know a lot about Spock, which certainly um, is something. And then it's interesting too that when um, Zavarius is mentioned, Spock looks totally shocked. But he doesn't say anything. Very right. similar to the later appearance that we're about to talk about. We'll where see. he also sees it, recognizes it, but doesn't tell anyone. That's and that's when I said to you when you when I watched it the second time, 
I didn't catch that the first time. Once I saw how the episode concluded and I watched it the second time, now all of these, now I began to notice all of these things that it was setting up for something because when I'm watching the episode, I'm, I'm not expecting it to set me up for some twist ending, right? If you, right. Were, if you remove that ending, like these moments, no, you could interpret it as something, but if, but if not, okay. So I didn't, so watching it the second time, I thought, oh, wow, they actually, they, they fooled me. They did a great job fooling me, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to let you tell everybody the big reveal, even though everybody knows what it is, but I want you (laughs) is that Captain Aspen has actually been trying to secure the starship and free Cybok from T'Pring's facility. So Cybok Spock's half brother and uh, star of Star Trek V. A character that we've not heard um, hide nor hair of. I don't think that's the expression since since the film. I mean, talk about a major shock, a major surprise at the end of this episode. Yeah, I mean, there was I never would have saw, and I you know what I think the writers knew. The writers knew that we were not ever going to suspect that one bit because in a very odd way it always felt like as you said cyborg since star trek 5 even before star trek 5 was never alluded to never mentioned by name and even after star trek 5 it was never never mentioned again or even alluded to never so it very when the opportunity was presented with the um, Michael Burnham's flashbacks right. to growing up um, in so, the family. So it felt very much like the the that he was almost written out of canon, and I only say that because he's never mentioned or alluded to again. You, going as far back as season one of Discovery, when we were talking about when Michael being Spock's half sister was more important to the story, and that's kind of. You know, that was the hook into the show. Mm-hmm. And remember, they would, they would even show flashbacks of when Michael was a kid with Spock. Mm-hmm. You and I had said on a number of occasions, right? Are we? And we'd, we'd wondered, could we even see Cybok? Could we even, you know, and I think there was definitely ample opportunity for it. But I think you and I had just kind of accepted, like, accepted, like, oh, I doubt they're actually going to go into this just because it just didn't. Yeah, there's just so much. It seemed to. Well, it seemed too. For some reason to me, it just seemed too unbelievable to even to even do that. I just I couldn't imagine. And that's nothing that has nothing to do with the people who were writing Discovery at the time. I just think that revisiting that character in any iteration. It just didn't seem likely. It just seemed so unlikely Right, it's the seems, and I think it has to do with the fact that like the movie itself is not really well liked, and I kind of feel like the less said about that movie, even in canon, the better, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, and I'll, the oh, last wow. the last point I'll make, sorry, yeah. is there's also a weird kind of continuity issue in that film, I think, because when you when you factor in like 
Kirk's relationship with the Klingons, right? They killed his son in Star Trek Three. Okay. He encounters them again in five because they are the villains of that film. No mention of like how he's feeling or resentful toward them for killing his son David. But suddenly all that resentment comes back in Star Trek Six, oh, yeah. where they feature the Klingons. So it's almost like, how do you go from being a being sort of not even mentioning it in Star Trek Five to now? Why is this now a problem again? Why are you now? You know what I mean? So there's a we. It's it, the that film. The events of that film kind of live in a weird place and it almost it almost acts like there was no kind of continuity before because it doesn't really meant acknowledge any events or any sort of anything that came before it so anyway sorry go ahead yeah that's a good point and it does feel like a weird episode of a tv show rather than yeah movie but i will say that having watched some of it again um just yesterday it's the <laughs> The film has a lot of problems, but I do not think that Cyborg is one of the problems. No. I think it's everything else is the problem. Right. Um, because that was that was the dramatic hook to get pe- I keep saying that term, but I'm saying that a lot lately. To get people intrigued in that film. It's Spock's right. half-brother. And in fact... The way Spock rationalized never mentioning him before is the same. We said the same thing. I use that same reason for why he never mentioned Michael, why mm-hmm. he only mentioned that Sarek was his father right then and there, mm-hmm. because he just doesn't do that in, l- until it's relevant. Certainly, there was plenty of relevant times to mention Cybok in Discovery, which they just didn't do. Um. But that's how we sort of rationalized why, you know, Cybok was never mentioned before. So, or probably even since. But to to do it on Strange New Worlds, I mean, to me, I'm thinking to myself, now that they've revealed that this is who this is, not only was I excited about it, but I thought to myself, you know, this is a this is a story. This is a relationship that I think is worth exploring. Right? Like let's 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 explore this. Let's do this. I mean I agree. It's you know, I I complain about like this whole small universe syndrome or like you know wanting to connect, you know, things all the time, but this is something that is such a gray area that I think really deserves some exploration. Right? Now how much are they going to go into this? You know, who knows? Are they setting him up to be some villain late for later on down the line? I don't know. Because this show is not a, you know, they don't do arc-based storytelling. By if plot. anything, I can see one more episode that takes care of it. One more, right? Because, yeah. right. Yeah, and so talk to me about, because you were asking this before we began. You were saying, is he doing, is Cyborg trying to do now is he try, are they trying to do now what he eventually does in Star Trek V? Is this sort I of think a, so. Yeah. Because when the ship was taken over, finally, fully, when Captain Aspen took over, um, they kept saying, your best bet is just to like surrender and beam off the ship. Like Clearly, they wanted to get the ship and him. It wasn't just about getting him. Keeping that starship was part of it. So I think this was his plan. Right. 
same plan. It's just he was putting it in action earlier and maybe wasn't as prepared or didn't have as good of a plan. What it I, definitely seemed that way to me. What what I would love for them to do is not let's you know explore the relationship, but also because when you remember the opening of Star Trek V, he's on Nimbus Three, he's on the horse in the desert. Yes, he's toward, been right? exiled, and so that's what I think the logical thing to do would be. He something happens, and we see some encounter, yeah. and then he gets exiled. That's the thing. Like, are we? Are we? Yeah. Are we? Are we sort of teeing up where we first see him? Or we, where we originally first saw him in Star Trek V. Like, are we lead? Are we going to be leading into, you know, into that? And um, because my only worry, and it's more of a broad worry, right? You know, you talk. We talk about like, why is George Kirk on the Enterprise? Why is you know all of these? Everybody knows Pike except Kirk, right? That's what I was afraid we were getting to. So, oh, okay. I don't want it to get to the point where Cyborg is so integral. Right. Why didn't Uhura know about that? That by the time we get to five, you certainly have the context there to maybe bring up something that happened with Cyborg, Captain Pike, all these years ago. But don't, so I, 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 they're dancing yeah. well, around. Uhura would be in both. Right. So right. So we. There's, again, there's gray areas. The show is sometimes dancing around all these things by saying, okay, it's not technically wrong, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, do, I just don't want them to. And they've been, I will say, they've been very good about that, about not going too deep into some of these things. But if you're right. going to go deep into it, then I think you need to keep Pike and the Enterprise away. That's right? True. And only, and I yeah. guess at this point, they've only known him as Zavarius. Correct. Correct. So, Spock's not yeah offering up any more. But like, don't do anything where like you know Cybox on the Enterprise, but Uhura is like on the next on the next deck, so she never even sees him. Like, you know, oh, they only have columns of various. Right. Like, don't. I, I don't know. Like, don't. I just don't, don't do get the, too cute. Don't get too cute. Don't do those things. Right. Keep it. I just hope they keep it removed. But to your point. It could just be one episode and that's it. Right? This is not... I don't know if we're being set up for like a, you know... A villain across a couple of episodes or like a whole season. Right? So... And don't forget, we have Kirk next season. So if Cybox spills in the next season, right. do not have them cross paths. And I think they know not to do that, but... you know. Right. But, but who would have known that the brother we'd be talking about would not be George? <laughs> it would be Cybox. Not be George Kirk. It would yeah. be Cyborg Buck. But so when they revealed this, wh- how did you react? This is probably the, funny because one of the best reveals Trek has ever done. Yeah, it was surprise, but it was also duh. Yeah, <laughs> it was surprise, but it made so much sense. It made so much sense, and again, I think once we saw who it was, I said to myself, "Yeah, like." This is the relationship. This is the storyline. I feel like I didn't know that I needed, but I. But now that you, if you're gonna do this, let's do it. Like I want to know, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, I think one of the very interesting things is that, in a way, Spock would be the perfect disciple for Cybok because he actually is half human and half 
Vulcan. Maybe Spock is even the reason Cyborg went down this road, for all we know. Well, and the interesting thing is you've got... He has a fully human brother. I mean, he has a fully human sister. Yep. Half-sister. Who embraced Vulcan mm-hmm. logic for at least the first season of Discovery. Um, he has a full Vulcan brother who embraced some of humanity's emotional. And then you have him who's both Vulcan and human and, and can't figure out his place. So it's a very interesting you, sibling dynamic. You stole my statement. You heard me, you've heard me say that many times. <laughs> no, but it, like the three of them represent the full spectrum, right? Yeah. Michael is on the far left. Sorry. Um, Cybox on the far right. Spock's right in between. Right. But they're all kind of in between because they all, the human has embraced the Vulcan to some degree and the Vulcan has embraced the human to some degree. Well, I should mention that. What kind of dad is Sarek that he's making all these mixed? But Cybok is also Vitash Kator and who, who are a group of Vulcans who just reject suppressing your emotions. And we've actually seen them on Enterprise in the episode Fusion. They still believe in the idea of logic, but they, they, they feel like they've successfully balanced the two. And if you remember, one of the themes of this episode with Spock was that the suppression of all, of all emotions. And, you know, that's brought up several times in this episode, um, which is what we see him doing at the beginning of the motion picture, the Kolinar. So that comes up several times in this episode. So you have the idea of Spock completely suppressing his emotions as he attempts to do in the motion picture. But then you have Cybok who allows, is one of those Vulcans who allows his emotions to stay on the, stay on the surface, you know? And I remember in the final frontier, when we first see Cybok, you know, he's laughing and, you know, he's being extremely emotional. And the person who he is taking the pain from away in the beginning, whose name is escaping me at the moment, you know, comments, oh my, like, you're a Vulcan. You know, Vulcans were sort of known as people who repress their emotions. They don't laugh. That was sort of like the pop culture, you know, definition. Like, oh, Spock's not supposed to smile. And, you know. Right. No. The actor clearly overdid it with this huge booming laugh. Right. So you had somebody in the world being like, oh, you're a Vulcan. Which is the same way that somebody who's not 100% familiar with Star Trek, when they would see Vulcan, but they know enough to know that Vulcans don't, or mistaken Vulcans for they don't laugh, they don't smile. No, they do, but they repress it, right? So you sort of had this sort of real world belief from the time spilling into the movie where somebody only knows Vulcans as people who don't have any emotions whatsoever. So... Mm. um, I had a point to that. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. I was just going... well, well, I will continue. My, my point that I think is interesting, and I think the angle that was not played up with Cyborg originally, is the, the idea of him as sort of a cult leader. Because right. Because most cults, I'm thinking of, pardon to any, no, no pardon, not pardon any Scientologists listening. Um, Scientology. Scientology has this whole idea where they also kind of go into your past mental traumas and take away the pain and the what well, I don't know what they call it, interference or something that it has with your mental state and so it reminded me a lot of what Cybok did to that uh, poor weird toothed gentleman in the desert and yeah. um, so it would have been neat to see more of him as cult 
leader. I think in that whole movie, also, you could have dropped the 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 Klingons. Yeah, because Cybok was not a villain. Does bad things. Yes. Right. And I mean, Cybok, I guess, kind of did, but bad in the sense that, like, what's he doing to our characters, right? But he wasn't. He wasn't harming anybody in no, the movie. No, that's right? why I think someone at the studio probably said, well, we need a real villain, so let's just bring the Klingons in. Everybody loves fighting the Klingons. Right. And it, it wasted a lot of time that could have been spent it, on it. It didn't, they were too, it, it just it didn't mesh well. It did, they felt like they were kind of forced in there, right? Like you needed a baddie to kind of threaten the whole thing, but it didn't, it was just, oh, it's a Klingon who wants to engage a Federation ship, but it's not, that's all it was, right? Yeah. But now they don't have to do all that if they don't want to. So what I hope we explore with Cybok on this show is, you know, because he is part of this sect of Vulcans that, which makes perfect sense that we see on enterprise. Um, are we going to see, or does he already have it, but are we going to see the spark that sort of sets him down this path of why he wants to, you know, in the film, he does it because he he sort of represses and takes people's pain away as a way of getting them to follow him, right? But are we going to see something occur on the show that makes him... Are we going to see why he decides to do that? Or are we going to see that, spot, that piece, that part of him sort of come up and, you know... Right, because we don't know if he's already done that with Captain Angel... Maybe he point. did, or maybe just a normal... Right. Because she does use the term love a lot. But, who knows, that love might be born out of devotion because of this pain-relieving yeah. process. It, it was... You know, I have to just give credit where credit is due. I mean, I think it was a... Um, I don't say this word lightly. I just think it was a brilliant choice to do that. Um, and I think part of why I say that is because I just wasn't expecting it to ever be done. Um, not to say that I was sitting there hoping that we'd ever get some more info on Cyborg. But if you're going to do this, like I said a little while ago, if you're going to do this, then let's fucking do it. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Like I'm, if you're going to do it, do it well. And so far, right. It's being done well, but don't, opinion. but don't go so do So don't go again. Don't go so much into it that by the time we get to the final frontier, the events yeah. that we see, we're now like, well, wait a minute. You know, you could have, what about, you know, yeah. don't make me look, don't, don't, don't. I just don't want Strange New World to call anything in Star Trek V into question. Right. Or I don't want them to do a discovery and make it illegal to talk about Cyborg. <laughs> right. Or, you know, just some goofy fix that is there just simply to right. fix. I will say, though, it's, you know, one thing that they, you reminded me, one thing they did do in this that I thought was an odd choice, because when Spock is telling this to chapel at the end chapel sort of knew she didn't i mean well she's like you know ambassador sarek he's your father right yes when you get to journey to babel or babel i always get them the words you know spock doesn't kirk and mccoy don't know that don't know that he is his father until he actually is the standing right there right so I remember he would have known Chapel when he was bearded weirdo Spock. Well, that's my point. That's where I'm heading, right? So Spock seems very, a little bit more forthcoming with some of this information then than he will be later. So, I mean, 
Well, actually, well, he doesn't tell Chapel that. She just knows. Right, but she asks him about it, and then he tells it. He's forthcoming about Cyborg, but again, it's relevant, right? But it just seems... Oh, yeah, but if he never asked, he would have never told anyone. So is there something... So maybe the, so maybe we're good then. Because I'm just, again, you know, because it, it seemed to me that he was just very sort of like almost cavalier about being, dropping sort of these this these bits of information at the, more then than he was, more now than he was back on the original series. So I, I was thinking to myself, like, is there something that's going to, is this going to lead to something bad to where he just sort of makes his mental decision, stop, don't do that because it's leading to, you know. I, right. I, I probably not. <laughs> But, yeah. yeah, maybe this experience with the fake counselor Aspen will be one step in that direction, right? Because he was pretty playing pretty fast and loose with the information he was giving up to this person. Yes. So perhaps he'll be a little more guarded. Perhaps at least with people he doesn't already know. That's that's what I should be saying. Is is there going? Yeah, is there going to be something that makes him more guarded? And as you say, I mean this maybe. Maybe, or maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm just looking at it incorrectly. Maybe it's just not, maybe we could be good. Now, now that we talk it out, maybe we're, maybe we're fine. <laughs> I think yeah. we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. Certainly because he already has this existing relationship with Chapel. I think that's big right. too. Right, right. Um, but quite a good show this week. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, what are we, seven? Is it seven episodes? Um. I mean, dude, they've they've managed to really, you know, yeah, we have three left. It sucks, doesn't it? Like it's just they they've done they've they've really done a good job with this show. I, I have to I've got to hand it to them, and they they've definitely taken it in places that I was not expecting them to take it. Yeah, and so, we have episode titles for the next two anyway. But I will say just to wrap up, I, this I think the decision to go into Cybok is one of the best decisions they've done on this show. Yes, and I'm very glad also that it's not a show with season-long arcs because then it would have been, you know, the Cybox season and it would have just been stretched to death. Right. So exactly. I love the fact that we don't know what they're going to do, but if they revisit it, I can't see it being more than an episode or maybe two tops. Right, right. So I really, really applaud them. I think this was, um, you know, I think for some people who watch it, the choice to bring in Cyborg just kind of to them kind of feels like it brings in the baggage of Star Trek Five because they don't like that film and that they're like, oh, I don't know about this. But again, I just think like, no, like let's let's no, do let's go into it, this. If they have Uhura do a dance to distract an enemy, then they're getting into the baggage of Star Trek Five. But right now, they're getting into the cool parts. Yes, it, totally, absolutely. They, they, they found a really interesting area to explore that again i didn't realize i needed that needed more exploration is this something i never really thought of because i again i thought they're never going to do this so i just wrote it off as like well we're never going to see that again i was not actively ever thinking about i couldn't even tell you the last time i act, i had a thought about cyborg so the right. the decision to do this i think is a fantastic decision and i am totally um on board for this me too me too and before we close i just have a couple of other notes one I love the the subtle humor that is slipped in sometimes with Spock and uh, T'Pring. Yes. When when she says, um, I believe like a rebonding ritual would be in order, and he says, uh, <laughs> that seems logical. It's such you a know, vo like, you know, 
go and do it. It's such a Vulcan way of like, let's make amends, you know? Like, I yeah. love that it's very, yeah. And people have sex, and right. he's like, that seems logical. But Did, you can tell there's a, little, there's a little wink in there. But you know what it felt like? It felt like that the Vulcan, the lower decks, the Vulcan's lower decks, like that's what it, it had that same kind of like humorous vibe to it, right? Like it's just, it's just done in a very Vulcan way. That's just really, that's just really funny. Totally. Um, one other interesting thing about Cybok is that when he says um, who he is to Chapel, he says, someone I was told to avoid at all costs. Yeah. It, well, it felt like Ooh. a... Eric? Cybok. No, but was it Sarek that told oh, him? Oh, that told to him, yes. Well, it's... I sort of took that as a wry nod, like, oh, no Star Trek has ever mentioned Cybok again, so we're just... It's like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go... We're not gonna go there. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I really enjoyed was um, Spock in the weird, like, kind of stiff way that Spock, I believe, always has, kicking yeah. ass on the bridge. Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> Bashing people's faces into the consoles and, and giving them the neck pinch. It reminded me of when he was fighting Khan in Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, you know, Spock fights dirty. Yeah, so he's so much stronger than everyone else. And they really play up the idea that Vulcans are superior, have superior strength. Right? They really, yeah. really do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that scene was great. I also liked um, Chapel kicking ass in the halls. Uh, turning, turning a hypospray into a weapon. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Well, even like when she's in engineering, she's and they the two of them sneak in. She's like holding her hypersphere like a gun. I'm like, you're not yeah, gonna, that was like it's not gonna shoot something out of the. Yeah, you, <laughs> you have to, you have to come here. Let me, you know, yeah. Um, and I think oh, uh, one thing about the Enterprise that I noticed that I hadn't noticed yet, they do have the little lamps on their um consoles on the bridge, but they're not gooseneck lamps. They're just little. Yep. You know, they look a little more modern, but it's cool that they're there because it was always kind of silly that they had those gooseneck lamps. Right. I kind of wish just for retro sake they would have given us the, or like, I think it would have been funny, like, because in the first episode you see the Enterprise and Space Dock, and if like you had been on the bridge, you would see them like removing them and removing. putting putting in the new <laughs> putting in the new ones. That would have been very funny. Like, and like Pike being like, Pike saying like, I'm so glad we're getting rid of those. <laughs> or somebody saying yeah, like, saying, like, what are these things for anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We don't seem to do anything. <laughs> I would. That would have been a really good joke if they. But that, that I think been a lower, if it were lower decks, that would have been a lower decks joke. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I couldn't stand the sight of these. I'm so glad these are going away. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all you got. All right. Very cool. Well, uh, next week's episode is titled. Something. The Elysian Kingdom. Uh, and based on the scene that we got on the ready room um, for next week, it looks like it's going to be uh, somewhat Mabenga focused. Oh, okay. I feel like we're long overdue for like an Ortegas episode. Yeah. It's funny though. It doesn't, I'm not missing these characters because. They are doing things and they're they're relevant. They're part of the story enough that I'm seeing them have a personality. So I'm not really well. I know, think feeling. I think they're used properly, right? I mean, even though we've not gotten an episode focused on Ortegas, when she's used, she's used in scenes that only she can do, 
it's not they're not throwaway lines that anybody else could use, right? They're scenes specific to her. Mm. And that's why they're so and I love what I what I really enjoy about her scenes. I love that interplay that she has with that jokey relationship that she has with Pike. You know, what does firing gently even mean? Get us close. Yeah. How close? First base close, second base close. Yeah. Or first day close, third blind day close. Yeah. Copy that. Like Yeah. You know, caution. Yeah, it was they had a nice they have a nice uh, shorthand when they talk to each other. Yeah, and I think even though I would love to see more focus on her on a full episode, I just relish and enjoy every moment that she has. And it just She's so likable because it, that's that's who her person that's her personality. And I just love. I really. I just enjoy every scene she's in. She kills it in every scene she's in. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, we'll note about next week. So Elysium is the in Greek and I believe also in Roman mythology of a version. It's the final resting place of the souls of the heroic and the virtuous. Mm. Like a heaven for the heroic and virtuous. So that's interesting. I wonder if it's if it's going to be Mabenga focused. I wonder if it's going to be. Um, I hope we get some resolution to his story with his daughter, as you say yeah, last I, week. It's not intrusive, right? But, but I want to. I want to see this resolved. I want to. Yeah. You know. I don't want to keep. Although, like I said, yeah, they've only put it in when it makes sense. We. You also have to get it resolved soon because if that if you string this out any longer, and that that actor is going to that kid actor is going to age. And as they say in the transporter buffer, you don't. <laughs> if you're held in the transporter pattern buffer, you you don't age. Right. So unless they change the actor out, you gotta you gotta kind of you know. Oh, androids don't age either. Uh, true, but you have. But here's the thing: you have control over this right now. Yeah. You can control this. Take care of it. And then the episode after that is called "All Those Who Wander," just so you know. Mm. And TBA for the final episode. Yeah. Well. So that's fun. Again, three episodes left in the season. I'm so sad about this, but um, you know we're nearing. We'll have lower decks pretty soon after. We're nearing the end, but we will. I don't think the release date has been uh, confirmed just yet. But lower decks is typically mid late July, so I think I feel like we're going to get some prodigy in between, and then we'll get some lower decks. But um, I asked you last week, so I think I'm just going to ask you every week from now on. Um, how do you? Wh well, okay. Let me let me let me say it a different way. How do you think you're going? How do you predict, if you can, you're going to feel when this season comes to an end? Like about the season, if they continue on this track, how do you think you're going to feel when it comes to a close? I think I'm going to say, "Wow, that was great." That's yeah. what I think. I think yeah. I'm going to enjoy it thoroughly, and I'm going to be very excited for uh, its future. I I think I see us pulling up a card season one review at the end of this where we talk about because we're not going to really have a lot to talk about with the, with the season overall because it was not a continual story across the season right I, but right. i do think i can definitely see us diving into the characters again like we did on picard i can definitely see that being yeah, something we that. could do yeah yeah because i think we're going to be speaking again in very broad strokes about the season um because each one is just its own story Yes. So there's no singular narrative to review, right? No. 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 But, but it's it just it's really It's Star Trek. We haven't had a clunker yet. No. 
and they're all pretty solid. They're all of them are like I. It's true. Um, and once again, like it's just, it's 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 Star Trek. It's just what it's what Star Trek is, and it's just this sort of back to basics approach on the show, and and not with the show, and not overdoing it with a season long story arc or anything. Like it's just it just it just it just works. And again, they make it look so easy. Like there's not a lot you really need. You just got to give us a good story every week and the rest will, and the rest will fall into place. I think. Yeah. You don't have to, it's, it's yeah. I mean, I think discovery's problems, discovery's trying to do too much. Right. Yeah. And not pulling off any of it. It's like they're stretching themselves too thin. It's weird to me because, like, when I talk about Ortegas, like, the way I was just talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. You could have done that with, like, Detmer, Detmer and Owo, and then we'd be like, yeah, dude, I'm way more invested in Ortegas than I am the <laughs> Detmer and, and Owo. Or, I'm sorry. Or, or, of course, a Reese, because nobody can right. Reese. It's... And Stamets. Those are the... Those are the kind of tiny adjustments you make you know somebody on the trick bbs said to me the other day when i was lamenting about that again by comparison they kept saying discovery's the michael burnham show and i said sure but that doesn't mean that you ignore everybody else it's not the michael burnham only show and they're they didn't uh you know there are other characters on the show (laughs) exactly right yeah so I then, mean, change yeah. the name to Star Trek Burnham for all I care, right? I mean, and it's, not, and it's, yeah, it's not a, a one-woman one show. <laughs> it's not like a Broadway. It's thing. not Broadway, right? Yeah. 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 There are other characters. You, in on any show, even if it has a clear star, the side characters need to be something. They need to be have a personality and you have right. to care about them and consistent. I was, reading, uh, I was reading an article on, uh, I think, on TrekMovie.com. There was an interview with our favorite person, Michelle Paradise. Uh-huh. And the crux of the uh, article was about how she doesn't feel. I think she was asked, like, "Do you feel like there's going to be like a rivalry between Discovery and Strange New Worlds?" And she's like, "No, I don't really think that way." And I'm saying, "Well, right, because you You're can't allowed. you can't rival with each other because this Strange New yeah. Worlds is clearly the superior show." Yeah, you like, and somebody, I'm going to stop right at this. I promise. Okay. Michelle Paradise had made a post on Instagram, I think, that because Discovery is filming now, season five, they're shooting now. I saw that. And um, somebody in the comments said, "Watch Strange New Worlds and learn. Watch, <laughs> learn how to do Star Trek, right? Watch, how, you know." And yeah. I was like, "Oh boy." <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it's true. Right now, look, they're not the same show. I understand, but it's just. You can use similar ingredients. You can use the same ingredients. Okay, if you one of them, one of them is endlessly enjoyable, and one is endlessly frustrating. But sometimes enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I will say of the la- of every se- any season from the first season onward, the last season was the best one. I told people on the Trek BBS, people who I talk to regularly on the Trek BBS about it. I said, I said, guys, you know, I come to the show every year. I'm rooting for its success. I want it to do well. I'm not. So I said, if, but if you, and I said, I, I said, quite frankly, I'm, I'm sort of jealous of some of you who are able to get genuine enjoyment out of it 
regularly. But I said, just know that I come to it with an open mind every season. I have not, I've invested four seasons in, I'm not leaving the show because I want yeah. it to succeed. So, but, yeah, it's just, it's just going to be hard to go back to it after Strange New Worlds and presumably this yeah. new season of Lower Ducks. That's hard to be excited for the show and it seems to disappoint us every season. Yeah. Fool me once, shame on me. What are we at? How, how, fool me four fool times. Me four times. <laughs> well, not entirely four times, but yeah. Three times at least. Yeah. Well, three and a half times. Three and a half times. But nevertheless, we've got three episodes left of a show that we really enjoy. And yeah. I think. And so coming of another show we really enjoy. Fingers crossed. Um, and yeah, I guess that'll do it. So. Thank you, everybody, yeah. for listening. Live long and prosper, y'all. And we'll see you next week. Peace out.